Welcome to your Active's Digital Brief Podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your Digital Media Editor. This week, we look at the DMA and how it relates to the GDPR. For an overview on all things digital in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website euractive.com. This is Euractive's Digital Brief Podcast. This episode is powered by Google. Future economic growth needs to be inclusive as well as digital. Small businesses are the key to growth and the right tools and policies can help them through uncertainty and support new jobs, growth and exports. Today I'm joined by Boyana Bellami, the president of the Center for Information Policy Leadership at Global Data Policy Think Tank. Thank you, Boyana, for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. So, Boyana, you have recently published a white paper with your think tank about the relationship between the DMA and the GDPR. The DMA has been adopted by the European Parliament this week, and the trilogues are set to start in January. So it is quite a relevant discussion to have right now. What was the main finding of your study? Indeed, uh, we have just published this paper. And uh, the reason why we wanted to look at this, Luca, is simply to bring some practical uh, implications, some practical considerations of how this area of law, Digital um, Marketing Act, that is all about opening data, enabling digital economy in Europe, how does that relate with GDPR and um, the requirements of GDPR? Um, It is absolutely important that that these two laws work well together because the spirit of both law has to be achieved. So protecting personal data, but on the other hand, very importantly, enabling digital economy, enabling open data. And as you know, uh, DMA, in fact, um, puts obligations on gatekeepers to share or to provide access to their data, to existing business partners, to competitors, um, and some additional scenarios provided by commission. And of course, the law also promotes individuals' rights um, to have um, access, real-time access um, and uh, to data and to um, uh, make sure that these gatekeepers refrain from combining personal data. So when you look at that, these obligations, of course, already have got impact on GDPR, right? And that's what we wanted to look at. How do, do the two work together? Uh, we made a number of, of the variations, and obviously uh, it's a long paper, but I will be very short. Um, it was very important to see how compliance with some key data protection principles, such as the uh, purpose limitation, transparency, accountability, security, would be maintained as and when gatekeepers share data. So that's really very important. Secondly, what is data that is in scope here? Obviously, DMA talks about personal and non-personal data. If GDPR extends the rule of personal data and considers every aggregate and anonymous data personal and even non-personal data personal because they relate to people, you know, then that it becomes really difficult to achieve the objective of data sharing. Um, How can we share anonymous data? How can we share data which is commingled with third-party data? 
Which data is it inferred, observed, collected? You know, so we have to think about what really is the scope of, of this obligation. Um, we have to clarify what's the legal basis for processing on the GDPR, right? GDPR says you must have a legal basis to open your data. Is it a requirement to comply with this law? Is it legitimate interest? Is it something else? Is it consent? Um, and how do they work together? That was also an important part of our study as well. Um, and then, of course, we also wanted to encourage um, voluntary release of useful anonymous data sets so to enable this data mobility. And how do we do that so that we these companies do not uh, get captured by GDPR um, enforcement framework? Um, one of the last things that we looked at was, um, you know, what kind of um, dialogue do we need to have with regulators and policymakers and those who are impacted by these rules? And we really think that um, that dialogue has been happening a little bit, but we need more of that, you know, constructive, cross-disciplinary, um, informed dialogue with regulators um, and experts um, to actually inform this process of both legislation but also implementation of, of the DMA. Um, final point is we looked also in um, how should regulators behave, what sort of soft um, uh, guidance and soft law options like codes of conduct uh, we need to do, and we, we um, include a number of um, recommendations in that space um, to uh, ensure there are these kind of regulatory sandboxes, policy prototyping, and some innovative regulatory tools used, as well as codes of conduct. So that's in a nutshell. Thank you for that. It looks very extensive. There is a lot on the table to make these two uh, legislations uh, work together. Uh, but I would say that at the core of the data policy in the DMA, there is this provision that says that gatekeepers shouldn't be able to combine data across different services unless they have their explicit consent of the user. I mean, that is already, in fact, part of the GDPR that requires um, data processors to, to obtain the, the, the consent of the user to process personal data. So in a sense, it's going back to the GDPR do you think that the DMA will help the GDPR to be better enforced? I don't know that this is a question of better enforced. I think we need better clarity in which situations is it okay for different services to combine data and in which situations the consent will be required. And look, uh, the DMA, of course, requires consent. But on the other hand, if we think from perspective of individuals, it is important that I also get the benefits of being able to use multiple services, for example, of the same provider, um, my login details, my basic information. Um, there is a lot about convenience of using services that cannot be subject to consent. In GDPR, as you know, we have got legitimate interest, uh, legal ground for processing, where um, companies can process data and share data, right, with third parties, if that is in the interest, um, either individuals or their own, and the rights of individuals are not prejudiced. So, you know, it requires companies to consider how, in what cases, data sharing may be allowed and enabled across services and for which particular purposes, like convenience, like security, uh, you know, login, um, safety. Uh, there could be a number of internal workings of these platforms and gatekeepers 
where you could see there would be a legitimate interest to share data and it would be helpful to me. So we have to distinguish these cases where it could be legitimate interest from the ones where perhaps individual would not expect sharing across the services. And that's where we definitely need to make sure that there is a, a consent. Um, and, and, you know, DMA doesn't make that distinction. It just says consent. Now, I don't want, look, this is my personal view. I do not want to be... Um, bombarded by millions of consents every day as I live my digital life and interact with different services. I actually want uh, organizations and companies to be responsible about how they use my data and and, and do it in compliance with GDPR. So I, I kind of feel GDPR gives us a little bit more leeway, and I'm not sure that leeway has been picked up um, by DMA. And that's exactly why we wanted to write this paper to kind of show the nuance and delicacy that exists in how these laws interact with each other when it comes to data sharing and some rules on consent, like you have said. Indeed, you have been a strong advocate that the GDPR should provide more leeway and also legal certainty for, for better data-driven services and data-driven innovation. Um, the, when the GDPR was uh, drafted, the idea was to target the largest data processors, uh, but that wasn't the case. Eventually, we have now uh, community services or WhatsApp groups of high schools that uh, cannot take place because of the GDPR, and there is sort of a disproportionality um, in the enforcement. Do you think that the GDPR, the sorry? Do you think that the DMA will help us uh, clarify that the GDPR should focus on certain, let's say, abuses and provide more legal clarity uh, for what concerns the legitimate uses you were mentioning? Well, look, I wouldn't maybe say abusers, but I would certainly agree with you that DMA targets very large platforms, uh, gatekeepers of certain size. And you know that has been a big discussion uh, uh, at the parliament uh, and will be in trialogue for sure. Um, of course, that means any European uh, platform that actually uh, reaches certain size will also be covered, which I think is right. It's kind of a risk-based and proportionate uh, uh, approach, uh, which is, you know, if you have got certain amount of users, well, your impact on data mobility and data sharing economy is such that we need to intervene. And I think that is the right way forward. Uh, you know, we can't have every single group um, being impacted by DMA because DMA is about opening data, right? But when it comes to GDPR, look, you know, if I am running a high risk um, WhatsApp group uh, in a small startup uh, with health data, I mean, that is sensitive data just because it is small, but it's got lots of people. I mean, that also still has to comply with GDPR. So, you know, I kind of feel GDPR is a, a law which is very much risk based. It's not by the size of business, but it's the size is the risk and the impact that my processing has on people. So no matter how large I am or small, no matter if I'm European and US, if my processing has impact on people, GDPR uh, uh, is there to govern use of data. That's how it's meant to work. Um, now, 
I agree with you that there has been misconceptions about GDPR. There have been misinterpretation of GDPR. I think sometimes the DPAs haven't been very helpful in interpreting GDPR. So there is a quite a lot of reticence risk. Uh, there are companies who are saying, I can't share data, I can't do this because of GDPR. Now, that's not quite right, but that's what they think, and that's how they behave. And that's not good for the data economy, and ultimately, it's not good for us as European consumers. So we need to make sure that these misconceptions about GDPR disappear. There is better understanding, and this reticence risk that exists in in in, in some parts of the European uh, economy uh, uh, really uh, disappears as well. Um, I hope DMA helps because DMA will help focus on these larger players. But you know, as soon as a European, as I've said, company becomes large enough, they will be caught as well. What is uh, a growing consensus? It seems also across the pond is that. Uh, data protection and competition policy are extremely interlinked in the data economy. So do you think that the DMA and the GDPR are striking the right balance to for these two enforcers that have so far been kept aside to, to bridge um, their, their differences and start working together? Uh, that's a great question, and this is exactly what we are trying to do. Look, it's it's really is new brave world. There is a complete uh, understanding, and you're right on both sides of the Atlantic that competition policy needs to change. And yes, data is an important asset. And yes, you know we need to make sure there is more access and mobility uh, uh, and sharing of data um, and better access more equitable access. Uh, you know, frankly, I was at a very interesting event yesterday um, where there was talk about global south and global north. You know, um, some countries are losing in, in, in this um, economic transformation, digital transformation, because they do not have access to data, because there is data localization, of etc. Right. So, so, you know, Definitely, data is a huge part of uh, economic and industrial policy for every country. And we are seeing these debates. And there are similar debates both in the US, EU, where both countries are trying to revamp their uh, competition law rules. Um, uh, one of the uh, important uh, byproducts of this change is that I think regulators as well as lawmakers have to be work better. You know, we can't look into these two areas in silos. We have to look across. And you have seen a tsunami in Europe of digital regulation um, in this space, DMA, but also DGA, DSA, um, EU AI Act as well. Um, all of these need to fit with GDPR and all of these silos need to fit together in, in a better jigsaw puzzle than they do at the moment. So there are not enough cross silo discussions, cooperation, deliberations. And that's what we at CIPL are trying to do more and more. And then on regulatory side, it's critically important that competition regulators and privacy regulators work together. And this is going to put strain on, on both of them. Privacy regulators are under-resourced already. They've got a big job to do on the GDPR. Now they have to think about 
collaboration with competition, but it's the only way. You have seen the recent developments in the Google um, uh, case. Well, it's not the case, but the Google deprecation of third-party cookies. Well, that is a measure which is certainly seen as a pro-privacy measure, right? Um, in terms of privacy laws, data privacy regulators are happy with that uh, because it, 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 it um, creates better uh, effective privacy protection, less surveillance. Um, but on competition side, it is seen potentially as a pro anti-competitive, it, it um, cements Google's position. And that's what competition authorities think. So in this case, actually what we have seen in the UK is a discussion between these three parties to, to really discuss how should this privacy sandbox around ad tech work in a way that it doesn't distort competition. And Google is very keen to ensure both. But you could kind of see from the point of view of companies, they're sitting between rock and a hard place. You know, which regulator is it today and which one is it tomorrow? And how they work together is going to be super important. So I would like to see, and we we absolutely ask for that in our paper, more uh, coherent, more deliberate collaboration between privacy and competition and, you know, consumer regulators and financial regulators later on. But at this point, competition and privacy through some formalized approaches. And I like what I'm seeing in the UK, um, as well as Netherlands is now picking that idea up of Digital Regulatory Corporation Forum, where these regulators work together on particular cases, on particular incident instances, on particular guidance as well, and maybe even having a cross-regulatory sandbox. Uh, and I think that really is something that Europe should be absolutely promoting. It's not going to be easy because we don't have one. We've got 27 um, regulators. And of course, they're different um, uh, levels, national and European. So it becomes lots of regulators working together. And that's going to be a big challenge for Europe to do. Bujana Bellami is president of the Center for Information Policy Leadership. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Digital Brief newsletter to receive a comprehensive overview on all things digital directly in your mailbox. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening.